Hello, so this is the first episode of the Runshaw Vocational Social Sciences Podcast. So for those of you that I don't teach, I'm Kim, I'm one of the psychology teachers. And my name's Bernice, I'm the other psychology teacher. So we are both massive psychology nerds, we love psychology, we love we talking do. about it together. Uh, so yeah, we thought we'd try and infuse you a little bit by making you a podcast, but we also thought we'd try and focus on maybe some of the trickier topics uh, to help you with your revision as well. So we hope you enjoy these. We're going to do a few if they're useful to you. Uh, but if they're not useful to you, let us know because obviously it takes oh, a while <laughs> to get them ready. <laughs> so the first topic that we're going to look at in this podcast is the biological approach to gender. Because it's maybe a little bit trickier than some of the other applications. And it's got quite a lot of maybe... New terms. Yeah, new terms and terminology. So we thought we'd just talk through it a little bit and then talk about a question that you could potentially get and how you might go about answering that. So um, the influence of the biological approach on gender is all going to focus on either sex hormones and the impact they have on development either in the womb and then at puberty and evolutionary explanations for masculine and feminine behaviours. So you might get asked uh, a short answer question about terminology to do with gender. Um, So it's really important that you understand some of the key terms. So you need to know that Uh, masculine, feminine, you need to understand typical gender development, which is where your biological sex matches your gender. So you obviously need to know the difference between sex and gender as well. Exactly. And atypical gender development, this is where you might identify as different from your biological sex. So the gender that you uh, choose to represent might not be the same as the biological sex. So just make sure you're familiar with those terms. So, we're going to have a look at the explanation. So, Bernice is going to talk about the role of sex hormones in the womb. So, we have looked at this together before, but this is kind of a recap and a bit of revision for you. Um, So, obviously, when the embryo, the fetus, um, is in the womb, they will um, inherit certain sex hormones from the parents. And that will determine, it's the SRY gene actually that, that will determine. It is indeed. It is. Um, what, what sex the, um, the baby is. So if a fetus inherits the X chromosomes, they do inherit those from both parents. Uh, but a lack of a Y chromosome will um, lead to a pathway for a fetus to become female. Um, and then low testosterone means that the brain will develop like a female and then they'll develop female genitalia and sex organs. And then obviously all of the other changes will occur when a child reaches puberty. Oh yeah, we all know about that. (laughs) Tough time, tough time. But all your hormones kind of are injected into your body and call all all these physical changes, which is why we change such a lot in that time period. (laughs) From from like 11, which my my son's 11 now, so he's going through all that. Tough times. Um, (laughs) So in terms of males, obviously it's kind of... um, they develop the Y Y chromosome as well. So they inherit that from the uh, mother and the Y from the father. The X from the mother <laughs> and the Y from the father. And the Y chromosome will uh, carry masculine genes, which will trigger the release of testosterone in the fetus. And then the testosterone will help to develop, obviously, the male genitalia um, and masculine kind of parts of the brain. So the male sex organs release more testosterone at puberty, which will obviously reinforce that masculinity. You know, your voice drops and mm. all the rest. I don't think we need the to go into hair. details, do we, yeah. really, about Ooh. that? Sweat, sweaty boys <laughs> at sweaty 11 boys. years old. Yeah, they're not good, are they? But all wonderful in their own way. So that is just a little bit of information about how typical um, 
sex development occurs in the womb. So just make sure that for the exam, you know that you can explain how those sex hormones play a role. Okay, so that uh, influence of them in the womb causes the uh, fetus to develop as male or female. Okay, so you might also get asked a question that asks you about the biological approach to gender. And in that, it could say, use the terms... Um, Typical. Yes, typical, atypical. But you might get asked one about evolution. So it might be an evolutionary question. I'm and it might... Gonna, oh, have you got a point? Well, I was just going to say that we've explained there the typical... We the, have. The typical, oh, yeah, maybe we should talk we? about so, atypical. Ignore yeah. me. Back well. to Benice. <laughs> <laughs> so what I was explaining there is the typical gender development. So obviously where your biological sex um, is... is uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Congruent. Determined. Oh, it's determined, no. <laughs> isn't it, by the sex hormones with um, and and the chromosomes that you you're given as a fetus. But as this development occurs, sometimes you know things go wrong. So the embryo might reject the testosterone, for example, and this is where um, we can kind of. It's not necessarily going wrong either. It's just no. kind of as nature intended. It's just an atypical development. It's an atypical development as nature intended. For some people, you know, they they will reject the testosterone, and that's what leads to um, CAH. CAH. So <laughs> congenital adrenal hyperplasia. Yeah, I would just um, say in the exam, don't worry about remembering all those long words because they're the kind of words that are a bit scary and hard to remember. So if you put CAH, that is absolutely, absolutely fine. fine. Um, so that's just where basically um, the female fetus is exposed to abnormally high levels of testosterone and with that results basically in ambiguous genitalia developing. Um, so we'll, we'll get, get onto that more later, but mm. um, the typical development is what I've just explained and it's just, just for you to be aware of the atypical gender development and mm -hmm. also revising that carefully as well. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so I was going to talk about evolutionary explanations for masculinity and femininity, or it might say evolutionary explanations for gender. So with this, we're talking about like how we can hark back to our hunter-gatherer days. So don't forget that term EEA, evolutionary environment of adaptation. That means like the last big evolution that we had as a species. And for humans, that was about 10,000 years ago. So whenever you're looking at evolutionary explanations, you want to almost imagine that you're 10,000 years ago and think about what males and females would have been doing because that's what we are still evolved to do. So survival of the fittest, our job as a human race is to spread our genes, okay? That is our job, basically. We want to spread our genes to ensure the survival of our genes and the human race in general. So this means that males need to be able to mate with the most women possible and <laughs> women need to be able to have a successful birth and be able to successfully raise the child, okay? So we've got different jobs. So um, adult human females need to be good at pregnancy and rearing children, okay? So that means not engaging in risky behaviours. So we don't want to send our women out to, I don't know, Catch, catch lions yeah. or whatever it is yeah we don't want to have spears we don't want to go fishing in rivers and swimming across lakes and it's things dangerous. like that too dangerous, it's dangerous. yeah so the women have to stay at home and, and rear the children the men um we want them to be big and strong okay so masculine behaviors like being really good at throwing a spear running fast being big and strong and being able to fight off predators that is the kind of characteristic that would be kind of passed on successfully. And that would be dead attractive. It like, would, wouldn't so it? Sexy, like, huge, it? big... <laughs> what's his name? I can't remember him. That big, that guy that was like, hey, Johnny, Johnny, 
Five? No, I can't remember. It was a cartoon when I was little. Anyway, I digress. So, successful males evolved in size and strength to provide resources and protection for females. So, a very masculine man, an aggressive man that was good at kind of being assertive and getting his own way and being dominant, that would be a successful male. Um, so, what we have now um, is, yeah, these masculine behaviours being selected by the females and they are, they are the genes that get passed on. So the masculinity, the masculine traits, um, yeah, are more likely to be successful. So it's nice and simple. We've also got things, though. I think there's a couple of key terms I'm just going to look in my book for. Uh, yeah, so that's dominant male theory. Um, and then, oh, division of labour. Yeah, so I saw a past paper question a while ago that was about explain why males do typical jobs or females might do more housework. So in the EEA, it would be the woman that kind of stayed home and kept, the, kept the cave clean, because I'm assuming it that <laughs> lived in caves, but looked after the children. So sometimes when we see those typical gender roles in occupations or housework, that is kind of a nod to that evolutionary environment of adaptation. That's too. like women as carers, women exactly. as nursery workers, exactly. primary school workers, men as like construction workers. Exactly, yeah. And one more term is direct guarding. So I remember that we looked at jealousy and there was a study, D-D- wasn't there? DDSL. Was it yeah. bus? No, it's D. Is oh, it? it? It's bus. It's bus because yeah. D with the masculine traits. Yeah, so we'll come back to that when we go back to sex hormones. But the bus et al. study was the one where females and males experience jealousy in different ways. So males are more likely to be jealous of sexual infidelity because that means that it's not necessarily their genes that are being propagated Mm -hmm. whereas females are more likely to be um, threatened by uh, emotional infidelity Mm -hmm. because they need the man to stick around and feed them so they can successfully look after the children so you can link in evolutionary expectations to the bus study Um, so yeah that's the evolutionary explanation so we're just going to jump back now to um, how this all links to kind of atypical gender development um, and Benita is just going to talk a little bit more about that and then we'll talk about the DD study. So um, the biological approach obviously is suggesting that just as typical gender development results from physical factors such as genes and brain structure and chemistry, atypical development results from changes in these aspects as well. Um, so as I was saying before, the role of sex hormones um in males and females can actually determine whether a person is born intersex, uh, which is where they're born with with both genitalia. And sometimes it's kind of difficult for the doctors and the parents to determine what what sex that child or that baby is. Sometimes it's worth saying the because you might think, oh, how can you not tell? You know, you might be able to see that somebody's got both, or mm-hmm. or you know, they might be more male or female. Sometimes the organs actually develop internally. Yeah. So it it might be that there is a penis on the outside, but actually inside there's ovaries in a womb. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a bit more complicated than just going, oh, how come we can't tell? It might actually be internal as well. Yeah. Um. So what I was what was mentioning earlier is the um. Most of what we know about the effects of testosterone on gender identity comes from studies with people, obviously, with atypical behaviours. So we've got the the long word that you only need to remember the acronym of, but it is congenital adrenal hyperplasia, which is C-A-H. And it's a condition in which genetically female fetus is exposed to abnormally high levels of testosterone, which will have the outcome whereby they'll have this kind of like ambiguous genitalia. Um, and it often is that they kind of resemble that they've got this penis that they're born with at birth. So they might be identified as male when actually they are female. 
So those of uh, those people who are raised as a girl will often show um, play and toy kind of preferences for those that, you know, as a boy, really. Mm. Um, and in adulthood, women with CAH will express satisfaction with their female typical identity, mm. usually. Um, but up to 5% say that they want to live as a man. So this is kind of evidence that... Um, you know, of atypical development to do with hormones um, with the fetus. Another another kind of form of atypical development is complete andro- androgen insensitivity syndrome, which is CAIS. There's only two acronyms that you need to know for atypical development, and those are the two. So you've got CAH, which affects females who have got high levels of testosterone in the fetus, and then You've got CAIS, which is where a genetically male fetus is immune to the effects of prenatal testosterone, so is born with more female resembling genitalia. So boys with this, and this is kind of um, affects boys more than the CAH does with girls, um, but they often behave more what what we see as more typically female, um, and actually the core identity of men with CAIS is almost always female typical. So this is really good. Um, it's, a, it's a really useful explanation of, would you say, transgender? Yeah, yeah, yeah so, potentially, potentially. I mean, it's not the only one because you've also got like areas of the brain that Ooh, are, yeah. um, that are associated with um, like se- sexually dimorphic nucleus has been found to vary in those who are transgendered. So the, I mean, you don't need to go into too much detail for yeah. your exam, but it's worth knowing that, you know, people don't choose and wake up one day to be transgender, but there are like some biological, uh, you know, characteristics yeah. that are determining that. I don't, I haven't seen a past paper question like this, but there is a big debate in psychology generally as to whether gender is nature or nurture. And that means like, is it biologically driven or is it um, something that we learn from the environment? So the social approach, cognitive approach, the learning approach are all looking at the way that we're either reinforced for gender specific behaviours or we learn schemas or we are looking at those around us and conforming to them. Um, But if you got a question about whether it was biology or or you know learned behavior it might say nature or nurture something like that a really good example to bring up when after you finish kind of talking through your different explanations would be the the David Reimer case study so we showed you a video for that and that was the boy who was born uh, male he was a male twin and his penis was accidentally yes burned off during a botched yeah. circumcision which sounds painful and uh, traumatic but um, so Doctor, he was he was well. The parents weren't sure what to do, and then Doctor John Money came along, who was a really famous psychologist at the time, looking at the nature nurture debate, and he suggested to the parents that it would be more helpful for the child to be raised female. As you saw in the case study, he was brought up female. He was given hormones. He was treated like a girl. He was dressed like a girl. Uh, but he always felt like something was wrong he and rejected it he rejected it completely. So even before his parents told him the truth that he was really male, he'd already kind of rejected that female identity. So that is a really good example of how kind of biology always wins. Um, so that is a very, very good um, case study to bring up. It's not one of your essential studies, 
So you don't need to know like aim procedure findings, all that kind of stuff. But it's very, very useful to bring that up. In so, a nine mark question, yeah, it would, if you've got a nine mark question asking you about biology or and gender, yeah, it's definitely worth bringing in definitely, the, the definitely. case study of David Romer because that will help you get up to that higher band. level. Yeah. So actually, that's a good segue, isn't it, into the next bit, which is about the question. Do you want me to ask the question? You can ask the question, and I can have a go at answering it off the top of my head, and we can talk through maybe what we would put we in the answer. Yeah. Can't we? So. Um, this is an example from the book. So um, this is the scenario, first of all. So it says, although assigned as a boy at birth, Andy has always chosen to identify and live as a female. Explain Andy's experience of atypical gender using your knowledge of biological concepts. Ooh, that's a good question. So this is an explain question because it says explain Andy's experience. So basically it means um, identify a suitable concept and give a clear reason for your choice. That wouldn't be a nine mark question. That would be a short one. I'd say probably a three marker. It doesn't actually say this is just a little revision book that we've got in front of us. Um, So I would, first of all, define atypical gender. That would be the first thing I would do. What about you? I would define atypical gender yeah. and then out of what we have kind of revised with you guys today, I would just choose one of the explanations. Um, so I would choose either the, I mean, the, I'd choose the emotional appropriate, choose which the is hormones, the hormones. Well, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I would link it to um, testosterone and the C, probably the CAH. Yeah. So. I might start off by saying in typical development, testosterone plays a role in male development because it's you know released into the womb by, via the mechanism of the SRY gene. However, in the case of atypical development, it may be that too little testosterone was reduced or there's the testosterone um, insensitivity of the CIAS, so it's rejected. No, CAH. No, because he's male. So a boy one. at birth and he's... Oh, yeah, yeah you're so right. Yeah, so See, sometimes teachers also get the concepts mixed up, so don't worry, guys, if you're getting them mixed up. But it will be C-A-I-S. So the fetus is male, but it's been resistant to the testosterone, so it hasn't had the desired effect, which could be a reason why. You could also say it might be a brain um, difference. So um, the sexually dimorphic nucleus has been found to uh, to be maybe different sizes in those that, that are transgendered. So you could use any of those things. But um, yeah, so define it first, and then give you give your um, give you a point. I'm explaining yeah. it. Yeah. So I think that's that's it for this topic. Podcast, yeah. yeah. Hopefully you found it useful. It's been nice for us to have a bit of a chat about it and uh, freestyle we, 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 a little bit. We clearly love it. Don't <laughs> we, we do. We do love it. But if you do have any questions, then please do ask us. Listen to the podcast. Look at your revision notes and give us an email if you do have any yeah, further questions. Definitely brilliant. So hopefully this won't be our last podcast, and hopefully you find it useful. And also, good luck in your exam. Good luck. Bye. Bye. Bye.